Hello, friends. It's Rob. We're on the home stretch of Act One here. Only five more chapters before we close the book on this part of the story. Pretty wild. As always, you can help support us at patreon.com slash plug and hum. And finally, stick around after today's episode for a trailer from the Godfrey Audio Guide podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 1, Chapter 31. We pick up in the aftermath of the battle for the chapel. Over in the entrance hall, Gull is fine, but Grip is charred head to toe with electricity burns, and he reeks of ozone and burnt orc hair. Back near the chapel, amidst the cluster of folks desperately trying to reattach Bates's nose to his face... Oh. Dora is catching her breath from all the running back and forth, not to mention maybe some early onset filth fever exhaustion. Ray is on his feet now, but still racked with the lingering pain from his near-death experience, not to mention the too vivid dream of slowly torturing Tolman to death that he had while he was unconscious. <gasps> He's still a little wobbly. Everyone in fact, is wobbly. Everyone's panting. There are dead rats everywhere. Burned rats, crushed rats, charred ratlings, ratlings pincushioned with crossbow bolts, blood all over the place. But in the middle of everyone, I think Bates kind of sums up the mood here. Yes, he's clutching his mangled face, trying to help stop the bleeding, but the kid's also kind of smiling through a, through a mouthful of blood. And... He's not alone. In a brutal adventure like this, you don't often get to simply take a win and clap yourselves on the back, but y'all did it. You pulled together. The survivors stepped up. They proved to be more than equal to the challenge. There were some real acts of heroism, and even some of the folks that might have been the first to be discounted, some of them ended up saving the day. And I think everyone feels that. It's one of our last days of Act 1 here. If, if, if it's not the last day, it's probably the penultimate day. And at this moment, after that hard-fought victory, let's just take a look around at this collection of folks, at this group of people that comprises nearly your entire world for now, and really picture them in your mind's eye. Jared Torgrith. He's from a family of farmers. They needed extra money, so he came here alone to work as a gardener and send back what he could. Erwin Savoya was, as we've heard on the cleaning staff, we know about her, her mom and her sister and her nephew. She sends them money as well. It's a similar situation with Denman Winoperus. Faustin York is a second son, so you know. He was working here as a resume-building exercise between his military career and the lofty political ambitions he has, None of which will probably come to pass, because, you know, second son. Nasa Wallica wasn't a pirate, but she did come from a small fishing village further south along the coast of Lake Incarthen, and she does know her way around a boat from her years before becoming a nurse. 
Ptolemy Laoles was another second son. His father gave him away to the paladins of Shalin in order to, and I use air quotes here, make a man out of him. He loved the art, but despised the violence, and so he ran away, eventually finding a home here as a nurse. And then there's the patience. Loak Alsonen was once a cobbler. He was committed many years ago by a woman named Sally Sparhawk after an injury that resulted in significant brain trauma. Sally still visits once every year when the spring rains begin to fall. Danae Folks was admitted by her husband, Victor, after suffering what he called, more ironic air quotes here, a hysterical breakdown following the stillbirth of her child. Yeah, he pretty obviously just wanted to get rid of her, and he had the money to make it happen. Maeve Kostenbaugh was abandoned here by her mother. This is the only home she knows. Brenton Leakland was very recently committed with his twin brother Debus after their parents were slaughtered by bandits right in front of him on the highway south of Rosenport. And something your characters don't know and the survivors don't know, maybe they never will, we'll see. Mura and Bates have the same surname, Yokchik. It turns out they were both committed by the same person, a man named Horace Yopchik. Mura was committed decades ago because of her mutism. Bates, not long ago, because of his seizures. The staff always believed both conditions to be the result of abuse. But because they were admitted in different decades and treated by different doctors in different wings, no one has ever put together that they are siblings. And I bring up these details, even though your characters don't know them. I bring them up because all of these people, these people in the background, they are what's truly at stake in the story we're ultimately going to be telling here. We're going to keep continuing to get wrapped up in the successes and failures and squabbles of the characters you've created, of course. And we're going to cheer for them and cringe for them and maybe even mourn for them. But ultimately, their struggles will only be as real and as meaningful as our sense of the stakes of the world they inhabit. You will ultimately be fighting, whether your characters know it or not, to protect a world of people that we're only just starting to flesh out together. And they all have stories. That orderly in the East Ward storage closet who had her face ripped off, her name was Danetta Hobbs. The fox Doris calling Reynard has a story. Winter had a ton of backstory, which we may or may not ever learn, but she did travel here from Caliphas with a group of folks who might know it. And there's the people of nearby Thrushmore, who we haven't even met yet. They all have stories. From the woman who runs the detective agency to the lonely soul down by the docks catching and releasing the rats that the town can't quite ever get rid of. So many stories. And that's what we're here for, really. Rolling dice, telling stories. I spent a bunch of time this past week thinking about how much I miss one thing we often do together in some of our other campaigns, which is to share character flashbacks as a means of building out the context of our world in a more player-driven way. Now, obviously, the way we're doing this campaign uh, means it's not really practical for now, at least, for you all to write your own flashbacks for Ray or Grip or Dora or Gull because you don't yet have your memories. But I got to thinking about all the hard work we've been putting in on everyone's backup characters. The replacements that will be conscripted to jump in should any of your original PCs die. And I'm thinking about using some time in Act 2 to have you flesh out those people's stories in the background while your main characters are going about their business to keep building out the world. 
But to do that, first of all, we have to introduce those background characters, which I've decided to do. <laughs> not all at once, and certainly not even all of them in Act 1. And we're definitely not going to talk about character classes and crunchy stuff. But we're going to kick off with one reveal today in the upswell after the last battle, and we're going to start with Johnny's backup character, who we've been developing together since I checked the emails <laughs> right after we recorded Chapter 10. So Johnny, standing here in the aftermath of all this mayhem, what does your alternate character, Bates, say next? <laughs> Holding uh, the dead rattling in his hand, his nose having just dropped out of its mouth, and uh, people trying to, like, you know, stuff things into the hole in his face where yes. his nose used to be. He's, like, kind of grinning, slightly delirious from blood loss, and he looks over at Maeve and goes, Who's a nosy one now? <laughs> and then falls down. <laughs> I just want to say I called this when I ordered the party to take Bates with them when we leave next time instead of me. <laughs> and like I said, we're not going to talk about what character class he has, and there is no reason your actual characters would consider him to be a combatant at this point. Something, If Bates should need to be uh, taken into this party, it will be very clear because something will happen. But at this moment, we're going to start letting Johnny run Bates as we are back yeah, in the chapel yay. here. <laughs> If any of you happen to catch the annoyingly large amount of hit points this uh, <laughs> second-level commoner seemed to have in this little sheet last time, that's why. And why he could take nine points of damage, I think it was, from uh, yeah, it was a lot of from damage. a sneak attacking invisible oh. rattling and oh. still survive. But Dora did do that prognostication on Bates. Yep, he is a commoner. <laughs> he According was to you, at he that was moment. At that moment. <laughs> and yeah. you, you agree with the Haley Joel Osment casting? So I, I, I'm not going to say anything about what he is or will be or anything like that, but I had an idea for a backup character, and I went to Rob and, and basically pitched it and said, I, I have this idea, and I think that the character could be Bates. And he was like, oh, <laughs> yes. So you inherited so, Haley Joel Osmond. I did. Yes. I inherited okay. that, yeah. Yeah, when I described it the first time, I had no idea I was describing uh, <laughs> potentially Johnny's future character. That is marvelous. Well done. Beautiful. So, at the moment, we know that Grip is incredibly injured, and Ray is very injured. Bates is down nine hit points. Nace is down four. Denman's down four. Valston's down six. There's a whole lot of bleeding going on. I'm down four. Oh, are you as well? Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and Bates is, and Bates oh. is bleeding. So. Yeah. Bleeding. Yeah. Yes. Critical. I saw... Ray's gathering the wounded towards him. Um, I think we can all go back into the chapel. Great, yes. Yeah. Um, is Bates conscious? Bates is still conscious. <laughs> the little kid's got a lot of hit points, but okay. uh, he's still bleeding. He, he's flavor He's flavor fall down on the floor. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, M Maeve uh, is kind of like kicking him with a foot to make sure he's still alive. <laughs> I don't get to be in charge of Maeve anymore. Totally. Do it, Ray. I think maybe she's like, fix him. Somebody fix him. Yeah, Ray's, Ray she's kneels upset. down and uh, offers a hand to Bates and says, grinning close face to face with him, Yes. those scars are going to look real good on you, Bates. <laughs> nice job. And help him up. Yeah. Okay. And once everyone's together, going to channel positive energy probably a couple times. Yeah, we'll see. Double eights. Oh, wow. Man. So uh, that's 16 for oh, everybody. Oh, but channeling is sixes. Oh. 2d6. Oh. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Oh. Take 12. Like, take 12. Can I take 12? Take 12. Okay. I mean, double eights. That's yeah, I mean, double eights. Go ahead and so take rare. it. 
Uh, so everybody heals 12 hit points. That will, uh, oh, that will cover all the NPCs. I swear I didn't know, guys. <laughs> what game are we playing? We've all done it. Yeah, we have. <laughs> so it sounds like everybody's probably fine except for Grip. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, no, I'm, I'm down 11. Okay, oh, I'm going to wow. do another one. You took a lot of damage. Um, and this is for anyone who needs it. That's another six. That puts me at 32 of 37. And everybody else is totally healed at this point. Okay. What? You have so many hit so points. So many hit points. <laughs> it's a little disgusting. God, that's a lot of hit points. You down a bunch is still more than twice me at full. <laughs> so everybody has gathered over there, but I think that uh, Gulliver yeah. did not gather. I think that he has uh, stayed over near the body of Ratch Mambi. Yeah. And he has stuck his dagger through him. Yeah. And he's walked over to where the, the flaming rat pile is, and he's cooking a little piece of him and uh, takes a bite out of him. He's like, I told you I eat you first. That's fucked up. That's fucked up, man. Uh, Dora is... um, Legit. Give me a fortitude save. All right. Disease? (laughs) Yes. All right. I'll do it. (laughs) I hope you get a disease. I do too. Uh, Let's see. Eat a rattling. That's going to (laughs) be... over the uh, fire. Of Fifteen. Okay. Uh, you don't catch filth fever <laughs> as much as I wish you did. <laughs> Dora uh, is, uh, uh, she's not feeling great, but but she is gathering anybody who is available to look at the Desna statue to see what can be done, if it can yes. be mended, if it can be replaced. Um, so as you, as you look at it, it seems as though only a little piece of one of the butterfly wings broke off. Ray is able to cast detect magic and, and verify that the statue was not broken. The magic is still functional. It might have only taken one more hit like it took before breaking. But at the moment, uh, it is still safe to sleep in the sanctuary for these folks. That's good. Ray wants to check in with Tolman and Brenton. This dream that you described is... uh, (laughs) Ray's wondering if he's coming unhinged, but he feels drawn towards especially the the youngest and uh, to check in and see what their emotional state is like. How's it going, guys? What's going on over here? Are you... How are you doing? Brenton has relit his shadow lantern in the corner there and he's watching the birds you get a sense of someone who is now developed a little routine for himself when something terrible happens perhaps his therapy was tied up somehow maybe both of their therapies were tied up somehow with his shadow lantern Mm -hmm. and him kind of pulling his head out of the place he's in and letting it go somewhere else for the moment so he's he's kind of watching the birds in silence and Tolman who, oh boy, so his experience was standing back there trying to protect one child while the other two children he mm-hmm. was supposed to protect ran out into the middle of the fight and then killed a bunch of ratlings. I think he's pretty shaken. You know, he he left a life of violence behind him yeah. specifically. Yeah. He wanted nothing to do with it. And I think he is probably just collapsed down on the floor next to Brenton watching the, watching the birds. And he says... I don't know. I don't know how long we can do this, Ray. I have a feeling it won't be much longer. Brenton, may I ask you about your lantern? What you want to know? Did you and your brother look at this lantern together? Yes, yeah, it was our lantern. 
Was it peaceful for both of you when you got here to have the lantern with you? Was it, yeah, a little more peaceful for, for Debus, but yeah, yeah. It was my dad's. Hmm. Did you have other toys? We had a neat little room we shared together, yeah. and we had chocks and we had paints, and I had little toy knights, and I had a little toy griffin. <laughs> I have a fondness for griffins myself. <laughs> Somehow I knew you might. <laughs> I think we, I think we might have met the ghost of your brother. Tibis is dead. I believe so, Brendan. Well, everyone dies. It's true. I think Tolman just starts crying. <laughs> Doris nearby just nodding. Yes, they do. Everyone Stroking dies. The fog. I think when we talked to your brother really briefly, he, his ghost, was looking for birds. Do you think he meant this lantern? I think he did. Because, because I think we found the knights. And I think those are for you. You, you found the knights? Mr. Gull has them. Where's Mr. Gull? Is he eating a diseased rat? He's eating a diseased rat <laughs> cooked over the flames of burning rats. That sounds like a silly thing to do, but... Mr. Gull is a silly man. (laughs) Slightly unpredictable. Wow. Can I see him? Yeah. Yeah, when Mr. Gull gets back here, we'll make sure that he comes over to show you these. And then maybe we could take... take the lantern to give to your brother. And I can be a knight, like Maeve. That's right. Maeve is like running victory circles around <laughs> carrying the limbs of dismembered <laughs> yeah. ratlings. Yeah I, yeah, I have a question about what, like, uh, this is a, I love this scene. What is going on in the mid? Is this a sort of like chaos where people are like huddled in groups? Is there- I think that the gathering to heal is where most people probably settled in. You've got the various nurses checking in on the other folks there. Uh, I think there's a little bit of like, you know, clapping on the back and like, good job and. Ooh, I can't believe we survived that going on there. And I think the the they're st- sticking together as a team with this uh, with while, this exception of oh yeah go ahead. While all the milling about is happening, I will um, as I pass by Denman yeah. in Orkish, I will just say, well, the good thing about this fucking world is there's a chance to smash something in the face at any given minute if you're patient, lad. Uh, when that happens, yeah. Dora, who is focus is elsewhere, but here's that. Yeah. Responds in Orcish. What? <laughs> yes, that's quite true. <laughs> Gull comes strolling over the barricade with a chewing a piece of uh, rattling. Man. <laughs> God, that's so gross. That's right. <laughs> what? Everyone's, that's right. Ju- everyone's talking in Orcish now. Everyone f- speaks fucking Orcish then. It's so easy to pick up. Well. It really makes sense in a sort of Musical, but not musical way. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you live near Belkson, everyone's got to speak that language. 
And he really, there's only a couple of sounds to it, right? I mean, it's pretty easy. They're not very smart, but... Uh, a bit guttural. Yeah. yeah. I, I felt pretty pleased simple. when I realized I could speak it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> My intelligence only allows for so many languages. I, I, I mean, it's, right, it's true. It's, As you're coming back in, Gull, I will remind you just because it's been a long time since we've described Ratchmammy, but he is wearing that spectacular red cape and that uh, pigeon feather vest as well. He has uh, he has a bunch of stuff on him, and it looks like he's wearing some jewelry in, in, as well. He, I have probably taken those things right. off, so there's just like, you know, a bit of Ratchmammy, but mm-hmm. the, the stuff I just have with me. You're not eating the vest. <laughs> no, I might be using it like as a little kerchief or maybe wiping my mouth with it. As you're coming in and Ray is able to, we can co- sort of combine this with the checking to make sure that the statue is fine. It does indeed turn out that Ratchmambi's cloak is another cloak of protection plus one. What? Huzzah. And also the little brooch he uses to keep it closed. Protection or resistance? Resistance. Sorry. Cloak of resistance plus one. And the little brooch he uses to keep it closed is also radiating magic. May I wear that cloak? I think it would look beautiful on you, Dora. Uh. Thank you. A natural 18 on the spellcraft, plus 7 is a 25. This is a brooch of shielding. Mm. It is used to absorb magic <laughs> missiles. Would have been really nice for Ray to have had that. Sure would have. <laughs> so when they uh, when they are made, they're able to absorb up to 101 points of damage from magic missiles before it melts and becomes useless. This one has 82 points left. Who is casting magic missiles at Ratchmambi, I wonder? Exactly. <laughs> Gull has the little brooch and stuff, and he looks to uh, Ray, and he goes, Here you go, Ray, and he flips it to him like a, like a coin in the air. I think you need this. Well, actually, what do you think, Grip? What what slot does that take? That's a neck slot item, so I think, I think we're yeah, down I'm, to I'm, I'm Ray being the only one I'm taking my natural armor. I'm going to no, keep No, Ray that. is wearing the... Um, Warrior's Courage. Warrior's Courage talisman and the Featherfall one. He did take it for that fight. Was that a permanent pass-off? I, I think I'd rather have the talisman if you would like the brooch, but it's, you know, 6-1. Why don't you take the talisman? Great. Thank you. Talismans, right? Yes. Still two left, great. Talismen. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Wordplay. And I'll take the brooch. And what's the brooch called again? Brooch of shielding. 82 points remaining. W- while um, things are sort of wrapping up and yeah. we're starting to kind of go back to routine and figure out what's next, Dora will start asking around if anyone knows of someone named Bryn, a patient or anyone who has been at Briarstone in any capacity. Sounds like someone a pirate nurse would know about, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, probably the first stop. Yes, Neza does know Bryn. Sad, sad kid. Well, he, he just couldn't stop losing weight. And um, no matter how much he ate, no matter what we did, he couldn't stop losing weight, and they couldn't quite figure out what was going on with him, and he, well, he would disappear into this, this place filled with, you know, with, with dryads and unicorns and the like, and he created this whole other fantasy world for himself where he was the hero of it whilst he was dying. It's a really terribly sad kid, beautiful boy, sweet boy, but, um, uh, very troubled, very, very distant. I'm putting 
a, a mind of that Sandman comic by Neil Gaiman with the Barbie and mm-hmm. Barbie's fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Doesn't help me figure out how to solve that haunt, though, but... How long ago did he die? Bryn. Oh, I, I mean, he was alive bef- before all this started. No, Nisa, I'm sorry. He's, he's passed. We saw his body. Oh. And uh, was his he unicorn. Was you, you, you what? Oh, no, wait. I'm one of the two leaders now. You would have told me about the unicorn, so I know yes. about that. The <laughs> unicorn was Bryn's. Oh, I should have figured that out. Yes. Oh, I had so much on my mind. It's been a day. Uh, oh, there were there were ratlings attacking us, so you know you, you're forgiven. And you've got Phil fever, so there's that too. Oh yes, you do. Yes. Do we want to make some you. heel checks to verify uh, for fact that they have Phil fever? I yes. mean, sure. We Dora, we Dora know, knows. but let's make but, sure the characters. Uh, Dora know. would like to know. If Ooh, natural Reynard. seventeen on the yeah. die. All right. Plus so Gull sees the early signs. They are both latent. With. What about Reynard? Reynard does not have Phil fever. Yay. <laughs> I think I rolled like Dora. an eighteen or nineteen. Dora is very frightened by that. So while they're latent, it doesn't, they don't have... No the, penalty. Nothing yet. So we need to strike while the iron is hot yes. before yep. bad things happen. Yep. To the tower, I think. Though we had discussed uh, taking an eight-hour stretch now for um, oh, any Oh, doing projects. downtime first? Yeah, I'm talking about doing We um, could do that. Therapy. We could do some counseling with Tolman, do some tr- one last bit yeah, of training. That seems that. like a good idea. Well, and... and this little chunk of, I mean, yeah. And we, to not run off from the survivors immediately in the aftermath of that yes. attack. Like, Hang out for eight hours and continue yeah. the conversations. And Yeah, Gull, during this time, Gull would, uh, would would make a point of stopping over to give the Toy Knights to Brenton. He is very excited to get them, and he immediately takes them to Maeve, who it seems like he kind of idolizes a little bit, even though she's kind of shitty to him, like uh, treats him like a little brother, right? He's very happy to have the toys back, parts with the Shadow Lantern, in the way that, you know, we're all going to die eventually, so what do material possessions matter? Which seems a little disturbing to watch a kid feel that way about it, but that's what he does. And Maeve is a princess, so having knights. (gasps) Yes, she's got her tiara. Yes. I love it. Love so it. I will put Shadow Lantern yep. in the handy haversack. Fantastic. Sweet. So then we're going to use the next eight-hour stretch. Just mechanically speaking, Gull will be able to get one more day of training towards his feet retraining. That's day three, right, Johnny? Yes. Yes. And Katie's going to get some counseling. Uh, Dora's going to get some counseling from Tolman. Here we go. I mean, I'll take it too. <laughs> but I think she she comes at it like, let's help each other. He's had a traumatic experience here. Yeah. Love it. 15 on the die. Tolman is like a master counselor. (laughs) Dora is at zero sanity damage. And at the end of this eight-hour counseling session, Katie, so I think part of how Tolman uses this stretch of time is to very subtly call out the fact that this fox does not actually seem to be listening to you or really paying attention to you at all beyond clinging to you for physical comfort, but that there is no exchange of information going on between the two. In fact, the fox seems to almost be stuck in a world of its own. And by the end of that period of time, you find that, for the moment at least, you actually don't need to carry a fox with you every second of the day. 
I mean, should you take any more? Here's how I'm going to run the dormant, uh, dormancy for you. Great. You don't need a fox, but once you're no longer dormant, you're going to have to hold a fox that Dora thinks is Reynard. That could be this fox. That could be another fox that you find somewhere else. But if she doesn't, she's going to be perpetually shaken. Got it. Wow. But she's fine right now. She can leave the fox behind if she wishes. Yes. Or carry it, carry it with, I mean, continue to carry it as a, as a crutch. I, I think um, there's no need to put another creature in danger. And perhaps some of these children would do well to have something to take care of, don't you think? I, th- I, think, that, I think that would be the case, yes. It would certainly give them a place to focus their energies. So Dorant nods and goes to find Grip to undo the knot he put in. You didn't the tell me I'd have to untie it. <laughs> well, what did you think? <laughs> I but just was told she, to tie it tight. She does want it untied because there is a certain unwillingness to sort of completely let go. She wants that harness that was created available. Uh, going to keep case, the harness. And to, to keep it mm-hmm. with But going to leave the fox here. As you willingly set the fox down for the first time. You see it kind of wobble on its feet a little bit. It looks around and, you know, it was doing this kind of weird head-shaking thing when you first found it. It seems clear-eyed, but it then immediately goes back and leans against your leg and whimpers. No, it has the same problem you had. Hmm. It needs you. I think she is going to take him again. Okay. But hands free. Like a real Bjorn, whatever thing we were calling it. Yeah. Where the the purpose of building it the original way was so that she could hang on to it and it would be very difficult for her to untie. Yeah. This is simply to keep it close to her for its own sake. Great. Um, but that her hands would be free. Yep. Because she is touched by this thing that is afraid. Yeah. And, and seems to need her for some reason. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, in the in the long run, she'll find a way to transfer that to someone else for part of the day. You know, like yeah. she's thinking, is, I don't know how long we're going to be here, but it, she can acclimate him over time to get him used to. Great. That seems to soothe him. Any other little activities we want to take care of in this chunk of time, or are we heading out? Uh, Bates would probably very strongly um, argue that he should be on um, barricade duty. <laughs> I think Boston hands him a crossbow. Yeah. He runs off going, Maeve, Maeve, I got my own crossbow. Oh. Where's my crossbow? Where's my This is so unfair. I killed just as many rattlings as Bates did. I burned him. My thing was less boring. Come on, Brenton. (laughs) Takes him off in the corner to play knights and princess. (laughs) So, two options. The tower or Brenton. So are, we uh, sorry, we, are we assuming the eight hours has happened and yes. any healing might have happened, so I'm back to full? This is during this the is day, so oh, healing mid-day. has to be active healing. Okay. Although I could take the time to do a Absolutely. to a heal check and try to heal up uh, my good friend Grip. I mean, if we're talking about going to the tower, I feel like I should be at full. Absolutely, and this is a way to use resources that are not magical and yeah. happen take an hour rather than uh, yeah. 
a long time. Although that might not do it. Let's see. That's a. To get a guidance. 15. 16. Guidance would be totally fair, so add one. Uh, that's Zoom, a 16, says Paul. Zoom. and I'm going to go ahead and blow one point of. You do know the DC is 20. Yeah. Inspiration. Yep. Got it? 21. So, Robert, that is three more hit points for grip. Are you feeling comfortable at 35? Hey, hey, I don't think we need the sass. Do you want your meat shield beefy, or do you not want your I meat do, shield I beefy? Do. The best place for hit points is in the bodies of your party. Yes, exactly. All right, yeah, I, I, yes, I do feel pretty good at 35. Good. All right. Yeah, we managed to get, I was, I was marveling as that very long multi-session fight was happening, how well all of you that have expendable resources were doing at hanging on to those resources. Uh, so you actually are pretty well situated to do an adventuring day here despite a major, major fight in the morning. I spent one more spell than I wanted to mm-hmm. and we'll have to spend another to use mage armor, but I'm going to hold off on that till we're closer to wherever we're going. So what's the plan then? We're heading up to the Northwest Tower. Is that the idea? Via the records room. We're going to stop by the records room, okay? And Gulliver suggests that we actually just case the library on the way through to make sure that there's nothing else that Ratchmambi the nest. left behind. Oh, the library, mm-hmm. the, the room that they came out of with the hole and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Just to make sure there's not someone else with a cutesy little name waiting for us. Jimmy Jumbletoes. <laughs> Brittany Bimblepop. <laughs> so... Let's lay this out here. As you step back into the library outside of the pressure of combat and you get a look around at what has happened here. How many books have been eaten? How many books have been destroyed? On the day when you agreed as a party that it would be fun if the Ratlings ate books after you read them, I was like, okay, awesome. I'm gonna roll die 10 here to see how many knowledge points this library you cannot ever get. So the consequence of that is, luckily I rolled low enough that you only lost one chunk of knowledge, but you you quickly figure out you have done what you can in this library. Great. Whatever there else, else there was left to learn, it has been lost. And the fox is currently with you, or we with left, the, yeah. left him but when I'm we left? But I'm not holding okay. him. He's I'm not fully born. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's just curled up. If he, if he chooses to jump out, like... Oh, you want to give him a chance to do that? If, if, yeah. Yeah, I think when you get to the library, which is a space uh, he knows very well and is comfortable in, and the, it's clear to him that you're not trying to leave him. Yeah. He'll follow very closely at your heels like a familiar might. Oh. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> we'll still tuck away the yeah, Bjorn and great. hope so that he stays out of trouble. Bjorn is in your filthy linen sack from <laughs> chapter two, yep. and the fox is uh, at your heels. Um, Nothing to discover inside the rattling's nests. And as you investigate that hole in the, what are we calling the room, with the hole, it looks as though it had been a chasm that had gone down pretty, pretty deeply. But as you shine a light down there, you can tell that the most recent shifting of the creature below the earth Mm. had kind of sealed that entire, they had nowhere Mm. to go. So they had a home underground that they would come up here to, you know, steal stuff from and do all their little business. But they, they actually had lives in a home under the asylum. That is Don't try to make us feel bad for them. Oh, I'm actually not. Uh, I'm just <laughs> filling in the story. <laughs> Diaries of their lives and families. Yes, yes. You find all their children. They just closed on and a And the children's diaries. Now that uh, Dora's <laughs> hands are free, she will carry her crystal uh, 
with her at all times. Great. So um, that's light for people in the back. For the humans that need and it. And also you can use it when you need to telekinetically fling something. You just throw the... No. <laughs> <laughs> it does damage to the thing as well as the thing it hits. And then you wanted to stop in the records room. Yep. And what's your goal there? Gulliver wants to look up and see if there's any information to be had about the bag lady. I love it. Let's see. We've spent a lot of time in this room. Give me some intelligence checks. Everybody add five, I think, from your familiarity with this space here. Nope. Oh. I rolled a natural 20. It's always grip. It's always oh, grip. That's oh, wait. 28. I got a 22. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So, I don't mean to steal sorry, your thunder, it, it, but I have a plus it's, it's nine. It's a natural to 20 for a 19. So, you know. I love that Grip's like, here. Yeah, this is like, this is like Gull's mission. Like, where should we start? All three of you walk immediately over to where it is and pick it up. And, and Gull is also kind of like remembering the last time he was back in this room. Yeah. And how, ev- and he's also remembering, he's remembering how everybody sort of turned against him then. Uh, and he's, mm, okay, yeah. And he's, and he's thinking about how this morning, he tried to do something where he tried to, again, put himself out there. Yeah. And his voice in the back of his head said, hide, hide yourself. yourself. And he's just kind of looking around and just kind of letting other people take the lead. Love it. You find in the records for Agra Loomis that she is susceptible to hypnosis to the effect that over a long period of time, Dr. Chawar apparently embedded a trigger phrase in her subconscious, kind of like a a winter soldier sort of thing. And this one is designed, though, to flood her with calm to counteract her aggression. It appears, uh, as you're first looking at this trigger phrase, it first looks like, so say, uh, you know, Grip and Ray are looking at it, and it looks just like a long jumble of nonsense syllables that you'd have no idea how to pronounce correctly. But when Dora looks at it, she learns that she's fluid in the Hallet tongue, the language of the barbarians on the north of the continent. The language doesn't really have a written version so much, so it's typically spelled out phonetically in either Taldane or Verisian or Scald, depending on the region. So it turns out, very much like the Winter Soldier activation trigger, to be a long string of nouns in a very specific order. So it will function for anyone that speaks Hallet, which in this party is only Dora. It functions similar to an evil eye hex on Agra Loomis. It's a standard action to use. She has to be able to hear you, though not see you necessarily. And it will apply a minus two penalty on your choice. Her AC, attack rolls, saving throws, or skill checks for 1d4 rounds. No save. Oh, man. Yep. 1d4 rounds? Yeah. And is it the sort of thing where you can do it over exactly. and over? Exactly. Anytime uh, you want to do over. it. And you can even, um, and I'll, I'll just say, like, you can stack rounds of the same thing on top of itself even. So, uh, it is, it's specifically designed for her. She doesn't get a save and it's supposed to work. It's just short term because she's powered by so much rage, you know. How do you spell Hallet? H-A-L-L-I-T. And when is you that s- my last language? Nope, there's one more to come. Yay. I love that. <laughs> Bag lady, huh? Yep, the infamous serial killer from Rosenport. All right, so you got your little trigger phrase. Now the decision to be made. Uh, how do we get to the Northwest Tower? Knowing full well, you would certainly understand by this point, that there's going to be a unicorn there again today. 
If you go out the exact same place, every time you've gone out that window or approached that window, the unicorn has appeared. Okay, knowing what we've learned about Bryn yeah. and his fantasy world or what have you and how difficult it is to convince the unicorn to leave you alone, is there any other check to be made about what we could do to appease it? Other than a diplomacy check, like yeah, I will, I will um, sense motive or as you all are talking this through as you're traveling up to that area, I'll take another knowledge religion check here. Twenty one. Oh, great. Sixteen. Gull's immediate thought is: if there's a body, let's try to bury it. Like so often, if there is an actual corporeal body associated with these haunts. You know, there's kind of two fail-safes, burn it or bury it, and the first thought would usually be to try to bury it, very much like a supernatural. Uh, that's usually the first sort of go-to. And what I saw near the body, yeah. which I share with everyone, we don't have a shovel, obviously, and burying a body would take time. Would covering it with something do, if it was ceremonial or ritualistic? Gull would imagine that in lieu of burying it, perhaps some sort of official rite of passage might do as well. I think trying to end this haunt is worth the effort. Ray says that he could- I know you're probably hesitant to even go out there again, Gull. Yeah, I, I think we should shoot that thing from the window. If we shoot the unicorn and kill it, it comes back, right? I can redo the uh, ceremony that I did for winter, uh, like a truncated version of it. Yeah, but we still have to get down there, and that thing is going to try to gore you while you do that. Yes. yes Let's but- try to kill it from the window, which will give us enough time to bury it. We'll still have to worry about the night gaunt or to perform a ceremony. I just don't know if it needs to be conscious or alive in order to end the haunt. It may not be good know, enough well, to kill it. Is and then it even going to show up if we're not in know. the courtyard? Another good question. And also, we don't know how long this haunt takes to reset. It's been 24 hours now. Yeah, over. Over. Well, then Gulliver will say that he's willing to tear off another giant piece of the curtain that could act like a rope. <laughs> that he would be willing to climb down and uh, touch the ground and then scurry back up like a scared, or get pulled back up, actually. Mm-hmm. He'll tie it around himself so that someone, grip, Hello. could pull him back up. Yeah. Love it. All right. So fashion a rope out of curtain, yep. tie it around yourself, and uh, leap down into the courtyard. Yep. Almost immediately, amidst the yellow fog, you hear the vroom, 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 to the south, and you hear like, you shall not harm him! And Grip's gonna pull him up. Yes. Vroom, get pulled up just as Unicorn comes out of the fog and horn passes right underneath your feet. And it vroom, vroom, stares up at that window. You shall not enter this area. Sir Knight, we have come to put Bryn to rest, eternal rest. Your watch is over, good sir. Will you allow us? Give me a diplomacy check. (laughs) Twenty-five. 
a single rainbow tear <laughs> falls from its right eye, lands on the ground where a flower blossoms briefly. Oh my God. My watch is ended. Yes. Fair maiden, young maiden sweet and kind. Dora blushes. <laughs> it, again, does that sort of like horse bow thing. It like yeah. lowers bends its front, its knee. bends yeah. its knee and uh, bows down and lets you pass. Okay, now we just have to worry about the night gaunt, which we did not kill. Perception checks? No, it was bleeding, though. <laughs> yeah, 24 hours ago. Natural 20. Great. Uh, Crap. 24. Uh, 17. Okay, great. You don't hear the sound of any wings flapping in the air, and no night gaunt appears. Could we ask this good knight... <laughs> Uh, to watch the sky for us while we try Why not? to do honor to brave Sir Bryn. There's a foul thing in the air that might try to stop us, but perhaps you would try to protect us while we perform this sacrament, good sir. If anyone attempts to defy this ritual, they shall meet doom on the end of my horn. That's fucking great. Thank you. Yes, yes. Gulliver is rolling his eyes and looking at this thing like side-eye. He's not saying anything, but he's just like, you... So the unicorn unicorn turns to the north and now faces his head up into the skies, keeping his eyes peeled for the dread night gaunt. I, I, I take these small successes with great joy. <laughs> no, it's awesome. <laughs> and you make your way down to the south there, and around the corner you do indeed find the uh, very lean and starved-looking body of this beautiful young boy and a very similar thing happens as you walk around that corner that happened to Dora the other day like this corpse's eyes open and you see reflected in it a world of magic and wonder and this figure of this elven woman coming out of a tree reaches towards you Ray reaches towards you Dora and that's kind of hanging in the air over this corpse as you approach it invite them into the burial who the elven woman. You invite her. Ray is going to look over the body and prepare the body for burial. Great. In a way. Yeah. The body is wearing uh, an, a very, very fine, highly polished golden ring. Oh. Detect magic. It's radiating magic. Seventeen on the spellcraft check? The ring appears to be a ring of sustenance, which allows the wearer to survive indefinitely without food or water. Hmm. So clearly, this ring is not what it appears to be, or he would not have died. Well, we don't, can I make a heel check to see how he died? I mean, we don't know that he died from starvation, necessarily, right? G yeah, give me a check. Eleven. As you're preparing the body and you're, you know, you're rearranging his patient's gown and that kind of stuff, you do start to see some bruises. And as you investigate a little further, uh, it looks like he was hit repeatedly with maybe clubs or fists, or uh, you can pretty quickly put together some story of maybe he ran afoul of the apostles and they chased him in the corner and beat him to death. I will remove the ring, and I'm going to share it with uh, Dora. Say this ring that he was wearing is a ring of sustenance. It will 
sustain someone who's starving, I don't, I don't want to leave it here. It's not going to do him any good. All right. Okay. Um, then cover the body and perform a uh, ask Gull for. Uh, I'll ask Gull for his book of uh, rights. Well, the Ferasman Book of Rights. Mm-hmm. Great. Turn past the divorce. <laughs> rights. Heavily dog-eared. Dog-eared, yeah. <laughs> Gull, just, Gull just looks at him and pulls into his coat and hands it to him. Yeah. And then Ray performs a short funeral service from the Ferasman tradition. And there is an almost instantaneous shwoomp, like all of the air going out of this space. It had there been a little bit less fog down here, the fog starts to swirl back in, the unicorn vanishes, the corpse's eyes close, and a kind of sense of anticipation or tingle that had been in the air the whole time that you hadn't even really been consciously aware of just pops out of existence. Mm. And you took care of that haunt. Rest Woo-hoo. in peace. Woo-hoo. Get lots of experience for that, right? So much experience. Yay. Did and we now- level? <laughs> <laughs> and now the way is clear for the apostles in Orpiment to make their way into Dr. Lissandro's office. Where do you go next? How do we get up to the... So the doors that you originally took into the cool. northwest corner of the building are only about uh, 60 or 70 or feet to the north through the fog from you if you wish to head that way. Now we want to hug that wall and... Hug the wall, make your way up. Yeah. You manage to make your way up along that wall, and you reach that door that you know will enter to, like, on the other side of that door is where that other wall on the inside was pushed down on top of, was it grip? It was grip, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we have to go into Ghoul Land. That is where the Northwest Tower is. Fuck. Okay. Oh, jeez. Ghoul Land. Oh, son of a biscuit eater. I've had a lot of luck today. All right. Oh. Dora will cast Mage Armor on herself. Hmm. Gull will fix up two different extracts and drink one. I'm going to keep my eyes on the sky while that's happening, <laughs> while he's doing that. Understood. Do you have a deflection bonus? I do not. You do now. For um, the next three minutes, you have a plus two deflection bonus to AC, a cast Shield of Ooh, Faith. Fantastic. Thank Burning you. through another prayer to Shaylin. When you cast this spell, oh. you have to use that as a right. component and it it goes up in a creepy thing of flame in your hand when you cast the spell. Yeah. A consumable material component. Replaceable? Yes, but, he's got, but he's got, you know, dozens upon yeah. dozens of sheets. But that's the way he is using it. And it seems, he seems to be using it that way instinctively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other buffing before we head in? Uh, yeah, let's do a wand of bless around for everyone. Nice. Plus one to attack rolls, plus one to saves versus fear for one minute. Who is heading in first? Probably me. Probably grip. All right. Such a bad place to fight things. All right, so I'll, I will go in first. Who's behind me? I am. And then it looks like it is Dora right after Ray with Gull standing next to her. Grip, you open that door and crank that door open and poke your head around the corner to the left where this hallway extends to the west. I remember the last time you were here, there were some doors to the south behind which you heard a whole bunch of ghouls. Some uh, door to the north behind which Gull heard 
sounded like maybe ghouls eating people and animals. There was the sound of a fox and sound of a cat and sound of a dog. And right immediately inside this door, (laughs) that last fight where you got paralyzed grip took Mm -hmm. place like right inside this door. Mm -hmm. So as you would expect to find, there is this giant pile of bricks and stone from this wall that the ghouls push down on top of you. And then there are some ghoul corpses there amidst the rubble. And kneeling down in the rubble is a ghoul. And as you open the door, you both sort of catch eyes at the same time. Roll initiative. Grip. Four. I love it. Dora. 16. Gull. 21. Ray. Nine. Paul is holding his hand over his mouth, laughing (laughs) at my initiative roll. Jackass. It's just such a great story. (laughs) It's great in a confined space when the guy in front of a choke point acts last. That's great and helpful for everybody. But it also totally makes sense with what happened to the last time you fought ghouls. You were like, uh, uh. Okay, so. Hi. Grip and ghoul catch eyes. Ghoul cocks its head. Turns its head backwards and yells, Clates! Intruders! And then it stands up. What the fuck did it You mean like 180 degrees turns its head backwards? It's called out some creature's name. Called out over its shoulder to some creature with the name Clades. Hmm. Take that as you will. (laughs) So it's a surprise round. It has to use a move action to stand up. You've got an action here, Grip. And it was very clearly calling towards... Oh, yeah, and at this point... So there... Uh, to the south, there's uh, a hallway going south, then there's a set of double doors going south, and then there's a single door going south. The set of double doors is open at this time, and the school clearly called back towards those doors rather than up towards the north. Can I take a five-foot step and attack in this surprise round? All those squares around where the ghoul is, is, it's all difficult terrain from the collapsed wall there, so no, you may not. Bullshit. It is worse shit. Too close to charge. And you can't charge through difficult terrain as well. Then I'll just take a five-foot step this way to at least allow some other people to act. Okay, taking a step to the north out of the way of that door. Can you do, like, full defense or something with your surprise round action? Can I? Do I need a full round to do full defense? Because if not, I totally will do that. <laughs> total defense is a standard action, plus four dodge bonus to your AC. Yeah, you can do that. Yep, five foot step, total defense. All right, round one. You hear a howl of rage coming from that room up ahead into the south, and then you hear thwap, 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 the sound of bare feet slapping on what sounds like maybe tile, and you know from Nace's map that the the baths and the showers are up here somewhere in this area, so it, as you as you put that information together, you it's like bare feet running on a uh, like a swimming pool. The ghouls were having a schwitz. <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> and then you see bursting out of the southern door 
a ghoul almost eight feet tall, missing most of its right arm with a hand lashed around its neck by a leather cord. I got some art here for this. Check this out. Oh. Oh, God. Good God. Nope. The thing's eyes are burning yellow instead of red, and it kind of flexes its muscles, and as you're eyeing it, it's like, no, no, that thing is uh, probably about as strong as I am. It gives a little playful uh, like tug at some of the, fing- the dead fingers on the hand that's tied around its neck, and it says, now. We will play. And that's the end of chapter 31. We'll pick up next time. Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes, along with additional music, composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. Fantastic. Did we level? Hello and welcome to the Annabelle H. Godfrey Historic Estate and Museum. Thank you for joining us on the Godfrey's world-famous audio guide. I'll be your host for the duration of your time here at the estate, and look forward to enlightening you as to the history and unique beauty of Annabelle's eclectic collection of art, antiquities, and curiosities. But before we begin, I must go over a few notices and estate rules. Firstly, on the chance that you failed to read the fine print when checking out this audio guide, and are currently standing in the middle of our atrium, waiting for a staff member to come and collect you, this is a self-guided tour. Each audio guide is equipped with a GPS tracking device, which triggers the commentary for the nearest collection item. This provides the dual benefit of a custom experience for you and helping the Godfrey staff locate unreturned audio guides. Many audio guides are discovered abandoned in dark and seldom-traversed corners of the estate, their patrons nowhere to be found. Which leads me to my second point of business. Stay out of the shadows. Thirdly, breaks in commentary as you move between collection items may be filled with historical tidbits about the estate, details about current or upcoming exhibits and offerings, general announcements, or words from our sponsor. Do not be alarmed when these start playing. And no, you cannot mute or skip them. Fourthly, and this should go without saying, do not touch any collection items. This is for your own safety. That's all for now. Shall we begin? The Godfrey Audio Guide is a fiction podcast that blends horror, sci-fi, and art history, both real and imagined, 
and which guides the listener through the mysterious Godfrey Estate and Museum. Interested in taking the tour? Find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you at the museum.